You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and a host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, then go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. Or you can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. I hope right now you are sipping on some fizzy housewives-inspired wine for yourself, packing a punch at 13% alcohol by volume, but less than a gram of sugar. It is my no-filter wine, available at nofilterwine.com. It's perfect for summer. It's in a can. It's compact. You can sneak it into your Uber, throw it into your purse for a pregame, or if you're at home watching reality TV, if you're yelling at the TV and you're yelling at what Erica Jane is saying this week on Beverly Hills, then stock up on some or what white wine. Head over to nofilterwine.com. I'm so excited because today's guest is an award-winning producer, a TV personality, and a New York Times bestselling author, and a personal favorite of mine. I used to love watching her on Fashion Police and on Joan and, Mel- Joan and Melissa, Joan Knows Best, and now it sounds like Melissa Knows Best these days. Please welcome author of Lies My Mother Told Me, Tall Tales from a Short Woman, Melissa Rivers. Hi. I love the fact that you're telling us to sneak alcohol into our ubers listen they nobody knows what it is i was in nashville a couple of weeks ago and i had my little cans with me bopping around town and i'm like what it's an energy drink nobody knows it's not no but i I love the fact that that's one of the the selling selling points points. yeah it's it's you can sneak it into your uber and nobody's gonna know because like if you have like an obnoxious white claw like everybody knows what that is Absolutely. I, you- I agree. I'm, I, I fully support that marketing campaign. <laughs> Thank you. How are you? Congrats on the book, by the way. Thank you. I'm good. You know, we're all getting back up to speed in a lot of ways. I'm still sort of having trouble getting dressed again. <laughs> I know. Putting pants back on again now that we're like people get to see our legs and it's not just the torsos and shoulders anymore. Exactly. I find and I found that extremely challenging when I'm like, oh, God, I got to actually put on jeans. God (laughs) forbid I go a step beyond jeans. That's just traumatizing. How's Cooper? He's what in college now, right? He is a junior in college. He's happy. He's 21. I know, which is insane. And he's great. He's doing I knock on wood behind (laughs) me. He's he's, you know. We're, I'm so lucky because he's in a good place. Is he back out on his own? Because I know during quarantine he was staying with you. Yes, he is back. He's living, you know, up at school and he's home for the summer, which I can't complain about. I've actually gotten to see the back of his head in passing a few mm-hmm. times because, you know, he's on the move, but he's great. But he's he's loving living at school and he's. You know, it made me really sad because that whole group of kids from the seniors to when he was a freshman and had to come home and then the incoming freshmen, I feel like they're getting gypped on their college experience. And it's such a great time. And I had so much fun that at least they're kind of getting part of it now. So that makes me really happy. Yes, 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 yes. And I mean, he seems to be doing well. I mean, being 21, is he out, you know, partying, drinking, kind of living life, living, you know, those those wonder years? 
He is. It's it's now they're back out and they can have fun and all of his buddies are pretty much home for the summer. So they've been running around and they all have jobs this summer. So, you know, they come in really late. You hear them getting up early to go to work and you're like, wow, welcome to the rest of your life. It's so funny seeing the Instagram photos of him now on like your account, because I remember watching uh, Joan Knows Best with my grandmother, who is like my mother. She suddenly passed away last year, very unexpectedly. So I'm fresh. Thank you. I'm fresh, fresher into that grieving process. Um, But I remember we used to watch that show and she would always call me her little Cooper because, you know, we would watch it. We just had such like a, a close bond. But it's funny seen him I still see him as that little kid that we saw growing up on the show I know people are always like he's how old I'm like tell me about it people freak out when they figure out when I'm like yeah he's 21 he's an adult I will never treat him like an adult because (laughs) he'll always be my baby yeah but he you know he's he's making his own way what does he think of lies my mother told me? Are there a lot of lies that you tell him currently? Of course. I'm a parent. <laughs> all parents lie. All parents lie all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, he was laughing at the book. He really liked the dedication, which was to Cooper. I'm sorry. And he has great humor. Yeah. And we both have a very silly sense of humor. Um, and my mother had a very silly sense of humor. So, you know, he gets to giggling and we get to laughing and he's really enjoyed it. He's, in, you know, the bits and pieces he's read, he's enjoyed, but he's not going to read his mom's book. You know, <laughs> yeah. come on. I didn't read my mother's. You know, he's not going to read mine. And first I'm like, oh my God, now I feel, I know how my mom felt so bad that I didn't <laughs> read her book. And then I'm like, Yeah, he's not going to read my, it's just, you know, when it's your parent, it's like, eh. Yeah. So the book is all satire, right? It's really just, uh, I mean, not even necessarily memories. I know in other interviews, you're like, the only ounce of truth to it is that Thanksgiving happened. But most of it, it's all just stories that you've created in memory of your mother. Absolutely. And my writing partner is hilarious. And I'm, think I'm pretty funny. And we, and he actually wrote with my mom for years. And at one point there was a lot of conflict because I was working on a book and she was working on a book and we both, you know, we did everything but flip a coin to see who got to work with him. She won shocking. Um, So he knows her voice as well as I do. So it was really fun. We're like, let's see how far we can push this. And what made you want to tackle like a nonfiction type of satire? Like that, that's not like a, a common genre. No, um, it started out, everybody was asking me, what would your mom be doing? Or what would your mom be saying through, you know, COVID and all the craziness and everything that went on and is still going on in the world. So it started out as an article of what would Joan say? Okay. So we get through that and I'm like, you know, there's something more here. So then we decided, oh, well, let's rewrite the history of the world according to my mother. And then we got stuck. (laughs) We got certain, certain, there are certain roadblocks that we got stuck on um, because we were trying, everyone's like, you were what? We're like, yeah, we've got Napoleon on Elba and there's no Starbucks. 
And we got really stuck right there. Yeah. And then we realized we're making up all these crazy stories. It's lies. It's all lies. So yeah. that's when we came up with lies. My mother told me and did a pivot to change some of the, you know, to write in different topics and about different things. And there you are, you know, the question is, everyone's like, is there going to be number two? I'm like, mm, possibly. Yeah. Possibly more lies. My mother told me. I have to say it was a very fun read and there were like, like it's, it, I would say a perfect for summer type of read reading by the yes. pool because you can just sit and enjoy and laugh and the stakes aren't high because it's all satire at the end of the day. 100%. And that's, that was what the book I wanted to write was easy, fun, doesn't make your brain work too hard. We're so inundated by so much now and heavy and depressing and difficult and it comes at you in these waves nowadays that I wanted something that was like, you could pick it up, you could put it down. It's in small bite size stories and you can just laugh. It doesn't take a big, you know, your brain doesn't cramp while trying to read it. Yeah. Your brain doesn't cramp. It doesn't pull like hard on the heartstrings because it's a feel good book and you just yeah. laugh your way through it. It is. It, it's, and it's, you know, I've set out to write something funny. Yeah. And it is so, very funny. And it's funny. You know, that we were not, I was not writing the great American novel. Now, I know you did write another book right after your mother's passing. It was the book of Joan, right? Yes. And so this book, did this kind of help your grieving process? Or do you feel like you kind of processed most of it in writing that first book? And this was kind of just a reflection in memory. Uh, yes. Book of Joan was, there's, it was still fun, but there were definitely deeper emotional moments in it. And that I'm not going to say it was cathartic, but it did get me over a hump. Yeah. It did help me. It just saved me in a lot of ways because of the writing and getting it all out. Yeah. This one was straight up silly. (laughs) This one, there was nothing cathartic other than laughing. Yeah. And you know, my family always, we've been the darkest of humor. Yeah. So it for me, that was this one was I mean, it wasn't that it was easy to write um, because it wasn't. But the goal was just to have fun. And that's the best way to honor anybody's memory. I'm sure like with your grandmother, it sounds like you guys were very close. You probably laughed a lot. That's the best way to honor their legacy. No, I mean, even when I had to give her eulogy, I like had to let people know. It's like I needed to make sure that my roots were fresh for today or else she would have killed me and taken me down with her. You know, and 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 I don't think people expected my eulogy to be funny, but I just her humor and our humor together was just something that bonded. I mean, Melissa, we would do some crazy shit. Like I remember one time she's like, put a blindfold on me and tie me up in the kitchen and we're going to text it to your aunts and just put no, no, no. caption just send them the photo of me tied up in the kitchen and just see what they respond and so I'm like okay and so we're doing this and then of course they freak out because they're like why is my mother tied up in the kitchen and why is you know my nephew texting me that my mother is tied up in the kitchen but like that was just her sense of humor I love that I love that you know and that's how my mother and Cooper were. Yeah. They never tied her up, but um, <laughs> they, but that's how they were. And that's how Cooper and I are. And that's why this book was so like, it was so fun. Now yeah. I did hit writer's block at one point. 
my writing partner hit writer's block at one point. And that made it from a different point of view, a very challenging thing for me because I had to figure out how to work through it. Mm. And it's really the very first time that I've had extended writer's block where it wasn't just a couple of days or even like a week where I'm like, ugh, I can't figure anything out. Even as a producer and a creator, like with Fashion Police and all these different shows, I've never had it last as long as this one did. So in that way, I learned a lot as in basically you just have to sort of wait your, wait your way through it. Yeah. But that made, that made this experience very different for me. Yeah. And how did you work your way through that writer's block? Just, you know, would walk away, give it a beat, take a couple days, go back, read something, see if I could fix it without destroying it. And just slowly, you know, ramped back up again. And luckily my writing partner kind of drug me through it. And then I sort of drug him through his part of it. Cause of course we couldn't have it at the same time. Yeah. I like that though, because I think that there's just this mentality now of like when things get hard or you reach obstacles, then you just kind of wash your hands and and walk away from it and don't pick it back up again. But that consistency and that like continuing to like try to push through it is what ultimately gets you on the other side. Like I'm so lucky that in my early 20s, I had a boss that would always kind of keep pushing me and I would turn, you know, in projects and she'd be like, it's not quite there yet. And so I would have to kind of rework it. And I think we need that consistency because the consistency is what it breeds the success at the end of the day. I agree 100%. You have to continuously move forward and you see a lot of people, as soon as it gets hard, it's like, you know, it's too yeah. difficult. And I don't need to do this. And yeah. I'm being, you know, whatever. I need I to go to a safe space. Yeah. And like, no, like yeah. work. Yeah. Work. If you want something great, you have to work for it in order to get. And then it's worth so much more. Like, I don't love the sense of entitlement. To me, it's like you shouldn't expect things. You should be willing to put in the hustle. And then when you get it, it just means so much more because you know you earned it. Yeah, And I know when I first started working and even during internships I had and my very first jobs that I had, nobody cared. No. Nobody cared if I was having a bad day. Nobody cared if my boyfriend broke up with me. Nobody cared if my feelings got hurt. Nobody cared. You had to just do your job, put your head down and keep going. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see of this, and I I hate picking on millennials, but I think what we're going to see, not just with sort of the late would they be the early, the late millennials that are sort of borderline Gen Z, which my son is the ones that have that work ethic and understand that you just have to put your head down and go and not be like, Oh, that's upsetting. Or are the ones that are going to be the leaders. Yeah, I agree. Cause it's weird. Cause then you also have these weird messages of like, Oh, well hustle culture is toxic and you know, and, and and wanting to have more of a self-care. And like, listen, balance, I think, is great. But it's like there needs to be a little hustle before you can get to the point where you're balanced. You know, you need to put in the work and the grit. And then you get to a place because you also have all these gurus on Instagram that are like, oh, my God, burnout is so hard. And like, yes, that's very real. But it's like, but the place that they're in now is because they spent so many years working to the point where they have this Instagram following where they can preach p- to people about balance. But they forget 
hard work gets you to find ba- and balance is bullshit. Balance is not real. No, there's a. Do you know who Jeff- Jeffrey Katzenberg is? Yes. Okay. There's a great Jeffrey Katzenberg line where he said, "If you don't come in to work on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday." <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. And that's the the world I started working in. Yeah. And that was the truth. And that's that what got you the success that you have today. But, and as for balance, yeah, but you learn how to create balance right. when you have to hustle that hard. Yeah, It's on you not to complain about not having balance. It's up to you to create your, your, your own balance, whether that be, you know, my mother worked 24 seven yes. and she loved to paint. Yeah, She was very artistic and loved to paint. And so at the end of the day, even if it was really late at night, she'd come home from a show and was still wound up. She would sit and paint for half an hour. Yeah. And that's balance is, I think people think balance is going to the spa for the weekend and like taking off and decompressing. It's the small moments. Like for me, balance is like, okay, it's been a hectic day. I'm going to go for a five minute walk and grab a coffee and just know that I have the five minutes to go for the walk and get some fresh air and maybe drink a little water. That is balance. It doesn't need to be these grand gestures of self-care. Not that those aren't important too. No, they're very important. But if it's setting your alarm half an hour earlier... And getting up and doing yoga or yeah. jumping on your bike or meditating. Yeah. It's up to you to find the time. And, yeah. And it's also about putting in the effort to make the time. Like for right. me, I wake up at 530 and I need to make sure that I do 30 minutes of meditation. And then I go downstairs and work out for a minimum of like 45 minutes because that gets my day right. But I need to wake up at 530 in order to fit that into a full day. Exactly. And I think that's that is lost Yeah, that you don't automatically deserve balance. Right. You have to create balance that works within the parameters of your life. Right. You know, and you know, and a lot of the stuff I'm doing, there's so many, you know, amazing people, but there's always the one or two that of that age group that yeah. just blow it for everyone. Yeah. Because, you know, and in our business, and I'm putting you in the inter- the same genre as entertainment with me, you don't get to check out. No. You don't get to be like, I'm going to disconnect. Yeah. Yes, you can disconnect for a weekend. I went away for a couple days with some friends after, right? Dur- I needed a break. I hadn't, because I was on the book tour. So I left on a Saturday. I came home on a Wednesday. Well, guess what I did Monday and Tuesday? Even though I was on a mini vacation, I sat by the pool and worked. Yeah. And that didn't mean I was grinding. It meant that I was still checking emails, dealing with things that need to be done because when I got home on Wednesday, I had to hit the ground running. Right. And I think that's something that's lost. Like, Oh, I'm disconnecting. That's fine for a couple of days, but then be prepared when you get home to have 170,000 emails. Right. And, and then you can't complain it. about it. Right. Right. I'm curious what your grieving process is like today, because it's been, what, has it been seven years now? It'll be eight years in September. Eight years in September. What is that? I mean, I'm still fresh into it. It's only been just a little over one year for me, but... You know, because I often one of the things that I remember people always telling me at the beginning was it doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. And I don't agree with that now being in it, because I do think it gets it does get easier because you become stronger. 
Yes. And I also think it becomes different. Different. Yes. It doesn't necessarily get easier. It becomes different. Um, for example, and I hate to say this to you, I found the first year easier than the second year. The first year you're kind of in this weird ethereal limbo. Yeah. For me, the second year became real. The first Thanksgiving you're in such space and yeah. whatever, and you're so prepared for it that it's going to be awful that you kind of float through it. Yeah. The second year for me, it became real. And that was when the actual healing started. Mm. And it goes to um, bittersweet. I, I can see that because I feel like the first year, especially when it came to the holidays, her and I would put the holidays together every year. Like we would decorate the table. We would make sure all the stockings were stuffed for all the kids. So I kind of had to take that on. And I tried so hard to take that on to make sure the holidays felt as normal as possible for right. the family. And yeah. I think, but I think that was my way of processing it because I had the goal in mind and I had the yeah. objective. And so I focused on that. Whereas this year, there have been a lot more of the smaller moments that I find myself getting caught up and, you know, crying over being like, it's those small little moments of like, this thing just happened today. Or like you coming on the pod, I would have loved to have been like, Graham, guess who's coming on the podcast today, you know, and she it's those little moments that I think are catching me, you know, unexpectedly. Yeah, it catches you off guard. And it will catch you off guard for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, But I mean, for me, and where I lost my father before I lost my mother. Yes. So for me, it was time. I mean, it's the truth is it just takes time. And everybody's grieving process is different. And do not let anyone tell you how to grieve. Yeah. But I always say to people, don't get stuck in it. I always say with my mom, like, the greatest way to honor her legacy is to keep going. Yeah. Your grandmother wouldn't want your life to stop. No. She would be like, oh, enough already. Get up and get yeah. going. And then what I also found was, um, like you were saying about Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's really important to keep those traditions because that keeps the person relevant. Yeah. And Cooper very much, you know, Thanksgiving was our big holiday. And Cooper, you know, always like, you know, he could identify like, and those were grandma's this. And that was always on the table. And one year I forgot to put a specific thing on the table. And he's like, where is it? <laughs> and you realize it's gotten into and that's wonderful. And that's another way to honor them. But you also have to keep it moving forward. Right. So I don't do exactly what we did at my mom's. We do my version of it. Right. And I think that, again, for me, it's about the worst thing I could possibly do is just sit still and sit in a puddle and not be able to move forward. That would horrify her. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, obviously I know you always get asked about like cancel culture and would your mom be able to survive in cancel culture uh, today? But do you think that she would have retreated a little bit from Hollywood or from the from, you know, being so out there with her opinions and kind of just like maybe move more into like a more quiet, retired life? Or do you think that fire would have just kept burning strong in her? No, she never was going to retire. She was never <laughs> going to retire. And she loved staying relevant. Yeah. And if, you know, she was always on the cutting edge. I think she would have remained unapologetic. And I know exactly how she would have changed her act. 
to make it work, which was she would come on stage most likely and say, okay, so I'm not allowed to tell this joke and then tell the joke. And I'm not allowed to talk about that and then talk about that. You know what I mean? And I think she would have done that way. I also like to think that she sort of wouldn't be been given, you know, grandfathered in and given a little bit of a pass like Dave Chappelle. Yeah. I feel like Ricky Gervais has kind of gotten a pass, but I think he has done it in a way that like he's just very unapologetic. Yes. And making fun of people who are getting up in arms yeah, and walking that line of not being like you're stupid, but just saying, Oh, come on. Yeah. This is comedy. Right. And I, I'm pretty sure my mother would have done the same thing, but I'm like, I was like, how would she have done her act? I'm like, just like this, I'm not allowed to say this anymore. And I'm not allowed to say that anymore and still continue right on with her jokes. Right. And admit that she's not allowed to say those things anymore. She's not allowed, but nobody's going to give her permission or not give her permission. No. You know, oh, I'm not supposed to say this and then say it. Do you think there would ever be a follow up? Because I loved her documentary, A Piece of Work. Do you think there would ever be some sort of like follow up on those later years of her life? Uh, you mean using like archival footage? Yeah, yeah I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's out there. You know, I think as we approach the 10 year mark and also like what it would have been like her 90th birthday, those projects will probably start to to pop up a little bit. But, you know, she she so lived in the present. Yeah. That it would be hard. I think I mean, we would all just be good, but I think she lived so much in the present. I don't know if I suppose it would still resonate. Now you've given me an idea. You can see the wheels turning, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you think Fashion Police would have had a life today? Considering, I mean, because I feel like red carpet world is just kind of boring now. I mean, it's just it's not really what it used to be, where it was a lot more fun and everybody was kind of in on the game that we were all playing in it, right? Yeah, but I think that stopped many years ago. You know, and it got very boring and very safe and very controlled. Um, I'd like to think it would come back. Um, could we bring back fashion, please? No. Yeah. No. There's no way. It's We're still in too sensitive yeah. and too jumpy and quick to jump um, on people. Maybe in another year or two, that would be great. Yeah. The red carpets, I don't know. You know, I think we had a place in, in, in society and in our world that everyone's a little bit sick of the entertainment industry and their self-congratulatory <laughs> behavior. Um, so I think if we cut it way back to just the really handful of big ones, then I think it does have a fighting chance. Otherwise, I think it's pretty much on life support. I think comedy is what saved that self-congratulatory sort of, you know, fatigue. we're in that fatigue now. But I think it's because we lost the funny red carpets. We lost the fashion police that humanized the celebrities. Like, they got to get chopped down. But it's only because we're building them up. Some, they're building themselves up in front of us in that world that, like, we needed to kind of throw a few punches to kind of, you know, balance it out. But also everybody also needs to lighten up. Yeah. No one's going to take them. You know, everyone's got to take themselves so seriously. Like everyone's like, did people get mad at you on the red carpet? It's like, yeah, but here or I'm fashion is like, yeah, but here's the thing. If we don't like one of the dresses that you got for free yeah. from the whole rack of $10,000, $20,000 dresses, 
that you've worn all the way through award season, and let's take it a step further now, that you're being paid to wear, really? And you're making $20 million a year and you are upset that we don't like one dress. Yeah. It's putting a little too much emphasis on the wrong things. Yeah, and there were no shots at them personally. It was the dress. It was so superficial that it wasn't- so superficial. Yeah, it wasn't deep. Um, I saw Kelly Osborne just announced her pregnancy and you, yes, I saw that you commented, how are you I'm guys so, doing? Are you still I'm, in touch? Oh yeah. I was texting her immediately. I can't wait. I think she's going to be, I think this is like one of the best things that could ever happen for her. And it, that child will be loved beyond all recognition just look at how she pampers her dogs can you yeah. imagine when she's gonna have a child do you think the baby will be born with purple hair if kelly has anything to do with it <laughs> the hairdresser will be on standby she but I'm, i am i mean you can see i'm so happy for her okay. and i text her i'm like you know i'm a really good godparent and she <laughs> she texts actually i've already thought about that <laughs> I love it. Um, who else from Fashion Police are you still in touch with? Margaret. Mm. Margaret Cho. I just saw her in Fire Island, the the yes. new Netflix movie. That was great. I'm still in touch she with Margaret. Um, and I'm most on a lot of the staff. A lot, a lot, a lot of the staff. But that's you know. You're not. Right. I like stuff. I like I like stuff on everyone's Instagrams. Yeah. You're not regularly texting Kathy Griffin. You're fun. <laughs> no. Um, I saw that Chelsea Handler just, um, I guess she was like paying tribute to your mom and the new Netflix is a joke comedy special. I know in, back in the day, they kind of had, you know, a little tiff. Has that ice, has that ice melted? And are you, have you been in touch with Chelsea? And did you know about the Netflix is a joke special tribute? I was supposed to be at the Netflix is a joke tribute, but I did what I thought my, the decision I thought my mother would understand and would tell me to make, which is I went to go watch Cooper in a playoff game. Uh-huh. So that's where I was. Um, I did not know they were using Chelsea and I was absolutely um, moved to tears when I heard what she said. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, We've been trying to get in touch. We've been missing each other. Uh, you know, she's on tour. I've been on my book tour. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. She's supposed to do my podcast. So hopefully in the next week or so, that'll come out. And um, I always find it fascinating when people grow up. Yeah. Including myself. Yeah. Because I think probably even f- five years ago, three years ago, Two years ago, I would have said a little too little, a little too late. Yeah. But what she said was so lovely and so heartfelt and so um, not self-aware, but so there was that she really saw herself in a way most people can't Mm -hmm. and owned it. She's grown a lot these past couple of years. Yeah, as have I, because like yeah. I said, a couple, two years ago, I would have been like, you know, I would have been like, you know, a little too little, a little too late. And where were you when she was alive? And yeah. da, 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 and you, you know, 
blah, 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 blah. And instead it moved me to tears. And I thought, wow, am I impressed with her? Wow. I wish this was, that was one of the moments where I wished my mother was alive. Mm. She was really sweet and endearing towards Joan. And I think it was nice to see them because I, I used I used to do stand up before I got into podcasting. But I remember looking up to both your mother and to Chelsea. And I, you know, I loved them both. I've always been somebody that's been very inspired and motivated by strong women. I guess it's because the women in my life, like my grandmother, were all yeah. just very strong that I always saw them as the superior sex. Um, so I was, because I always, we are. Yes, you are. And I <laughs> will not even try to debate that. Men are the worst. I'm tired of dating them. I think I'm going to become a lesbian <laughs> soon. Um, so, or as a friend of mine says, Never forget, men are basic. <laughs> yes, men are very basic, um, which is why I'm very proud to have been raised by some really strong women and have, you know, a lot of their traits instilled in me. But no, I think it, it was it was great. I didn't love their beef back in the day. And I like that, you know, she came out and the things she said were very sweet. Yeah. And what makes me a little bit sad is they probably would have really yeah. liked each other. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, for a lot of these female comedian, these comics, my mother understood what it was like to be a woman on the road. She understood how what much of a toll that takes on relationships. She understood all these things because she lived it well before they did. And she's the one that made it okay for them to do that. Right. You know, and there's stuff about being a woman, you know, a comic on the road as a woman when all the guys are hanging out and you're still going back to your hotel room alone. Yeah. And it's hard and it's lonely. It is lonely. I went on tour for the first time in April and I didn't realize how lonely it can get. Um, that like you look at some of those pioneers and like your mother didn't have any sort of reference or guide or real support system because, nope. you know, the, the that industry was not supportive of her decision to be a woman and on the road and kind of pioneering. Mm -hmm. It was very unorthodox. Very, very. So but that does make me a little sad. I'm like, God, they really probably would have gotten along great. Yeah. Well, we'll see where, you know. Where we'll Chelsea see. takes it next, hopefully, we'll you know, see. she can lead the charge for more women the same way your mother did. Yes. I did see that your pal Josh Flagg is in a new relationship. Yes, he is. I was a little heartbroken because the second I found out he was single, I was like, Josh Flagg slide into my DMs. But the I saw the photos and he seems to be really happy with his new guy. Yeah. You know, I was sad about yeah. him and Bobby because I... Door Bobby. And I always thought they were a really good couple, but just like anything, relationships run its course. Um, the new beau, shall we call him? I think I've met him twice. He seems lovely. I know he comes from a good family. Okay. Um, and you know, when it's someone when it's your friend, you just hope that they're everyone's happy. Right. Have you considered getting back into the dating game? I know you've talked about wanting to adopt a child. You know, that's something that's been up for consideration. Are you kind of like, what's the next chapter in your life? Obviously, career's thriving. Cooper's getting older. What are you looking at in terms of like that family life? I've gone out on multiple dates with the same person. So that's new and different. 
Okay. So we've been seeing each other probably about two months. Okay. But still in a very embryonic stage. Okay. You know, I have a life. I've been on the road with my book. Yeah. Um, you know, he has his own life, but it's mostly been hard because of my schedule, but he's been, you know, it's kind of cool when someone may, is an adult and isn't going to play a game. And cause I've been on the road, he's been like, you give me your schedule and I will make sure on those days when you're home, because like I said, I've been on the road that I make myself available. Yeah. And that, that was sort of refreshing for me. What dating advice do you have for people that do have the career, you know, that do, I mean, like for me, career is like my top priority and my family, like those are my priorities. And that's why I've been single um, because it's like, I don't, I need somebody that's going to understand that and be willing to, you know, fit in that life rather than, you know, me or, or him trying to buckle to make something work. That's just not compatible for either of us. Right. I mean, there is one something to be said for, again, balance (laughs) and about not trying to shoehorn yourself into someone else's life or shoe someone shoehorn someone into your life. But obviously everyone has a little bit of give and take. And asking me for relationship advice is not (laughs) smart. I am generally terrible at it. Um, But what am I? I've actually learned quite a bit in the last two months which has been interesting. So the only advice I think I could give is make the effort. If you want to see someone, even though we all have crazy schedules, but don't put yourself in a situation where someone else isn't going to make the effort back, you know? So that's, you know, with this guy, it's like, there's been times where I've come off the road and I'm so tired and I've been working all day. And all I want to do is crawl into bed, but I'm only home for two days this week. I'd, you know, he's like, I'd like to see you at least for one of them. And I'm like, okay, I can get through a dinner. Yeah. I can get through whatever because he's making the effort to work on my schedule time. And that's what it takes. You want, want to be, Oh God, I just want to get into bed. You're like, no, I can make, I can, I got a couple more hours in me. Right. And so far so good. We'll see. How do you like being in the podcast game? You have your new show, Melissa Rivers Group Text. Yes, I love that. Very uh, different from TV. Yes, you know, it's been on for about, I've been doing it for about a year and a half now, two years. Um, and, you know, it's been sort of on and off since COVID. Uh, I love it. It's really fun. Yeah. It's really fun. And I feel like... um People are a little bit looser. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it so fun. So now dipping into the podcast world and coming from a background in television, and now we have streaming that's becoming a lot more popular. Like, where do you see the entertainment industry moving? Like, how do these worlds of digital and traditional kind of merge? Well, the nice thing is if one of us could figure that out, we could probably, we should probably put some money in the stock market. Yeah. Um, if we could figure, you know, it reminds me of when the rise of cable hmm. and nobody quite knew what was going to happen. And then, you know, the rise of the streamers, it was back to being that kind of wild, wild West. Now I think we're going through a seismic shift again with movies going back to being in theaters. Yeah. 
And I think for the most part, it's going to be great for the TV business. And I think streamers are going to take a hit. But then I think we're going to, you know, the ones that have figured out how to put these, you know, to binge these things or that they'll put out two episodes at a time. I think that's going to be the new model because mm. you want people to come back week after week. Yeah. But you also don't want to, no one wants to have something drugged out one episode at a time anymore. Right. And you know, you want to see at least two at a time. Yeah. And I think that's going to be part of the new model. You know, your guess is as good as mine. Right. You know, and, and, but the thing is, I do think there's always going to be a place for content that's more than two minutes. Right. People are always going to want a little bit more. Yeah. Don't you think, what do you think? No, I, I agree. I mean, it's interesting. There's one reality star. I don't know how familiar you are with like Bethany Frankel, but she had a deal with MGM and then she was, she produced a a show with them. And then that kind of, she like, I was reading her new book recently and she talks about how she pulled out of that deal because she wanted to focus on podcasting full time. And I thought that that was just such an interesting move. And I don't know if I necessarily believe that because as somebody that is in podcast, like the goal is to kind of keep it moving and get into like some of the more traditional, like either streaming or film or television. Well, she had a talk show at one point. Right. That did not right. survive. And so she had another show with MGM. She, yeah, she recently had a, um, it was like a, an apprentice style show. It was called the big shot oh. with Bethany and oh, it yeah. was on HBO max. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, some shows work, some shows don't. And you, you know, she obviously went with her gut. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting move to leave television to focus solely on podcasting. Whereas I think there's a bit of a merger that we can have there. I think people like the on-demand feature. I think they like having content accessible when they want it at their time without having to wait for a every Thursday night at 8.30, they have to wait for that one show. You know, I think they like the accessibility. So I see that kind of moving a little more, but I agree with you. I think the once a week model is done. Maybe it's like twice a week or just something to kind of give people something to look forward to. Right. Or like I said, you drop two, two episodes, episodes a week. week. Yeah. So at least, you know, it's also that way you, it's easier to catch up and stay up with your friends. Right. Cause you know, no one wants to watch one episode a week anymore. No. we've done it for so long that at this point, I think now that you have all the binging, you know, people want to mix things up. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, people still like saying, Oh my God, did you see that episode? What episode are you on? Yeah. But I don't think we're ever going to go back to the once a week model. No. Thank you so much, Melissa, for playing fashion place with me and chatting with me, your new book available now lies. My mother told me, Everyone needs to check it out. It's a perfect summer read by the pool. Maybe have some no filter wine there. Sip some wine, read through it. It's a really funny read. Just make sure you prepare anybody around you for LOLs, loud laughs out loud. Thank you so much. Thanks, Melissa. I really appreciate it. I hope people go and buy this book all summer long and listen to your podcast, Melissa Rivers Group Text. Anything else you've got going on at the moment that you want to push? No, but you know, your roots don't look as bad as you think they do. <laughs> it's not, it, to me, it's all, there's so much hair back here. I love a Rudy look, but to me, it's all the hair that needs to get chopped off. I get, I hear you. 
but I'm ready to bleach my soul this Wednesday. I'll be in. I'll be there for seven to eight hours getting it bleached. <laughs> the things that we do for beauty. Thank yeah. you guys for listening to hashtag No Fields with Zach Peter. That's me. You can give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. Give Melissa a follow. Melissa, what's your handle on Instagram? And Melissa Twitter. Rivers official. Melissa Rivers official. The only Melissa Rivers official. So go give her a follow. If you want to keep up with the latest reality news, go and give us a follow at No Fields with Zach and listen to hashtag No Fields with Zach Peter every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We also have live episodes every Thursday night on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Just Plain Zach, and on Instagram at No Filter with Zach. So be sure to go and check those out and stock up on No Filter Wine at nofilterwine.com. All right, guys. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Bye.